Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And we're and going, we're going <laughs> round Springfield. Almost there. <laughs> How many episodes of this mini side series that we've done, <laughs> and we are inching ever closer to actually getting our intro right. Um, this <laughs> is, of course, the Simpsons spin-off podcast from Everything's Coming Up Simpsons, our former titled Simpsons show here on the Maximum Fun Network. There's just so much to talk about with our guest today, and I'm just going to dive in. Yes, please. She's a writer, a consulting producer. <laughs> <laughs> an actor, a uh, frequent podcast guest of Doughboys, which was my initial introduction to her. Please welcome Christine Nangle. Hashtag Nangang. Hashtag Nangang. I'm so sorry uh, <laughs> that your introduction to me was Doughboys, so dear God. I understand, but it, it, I mean, come on. Who else could summarize why we should all go to the Olive Garden? And you, Christine. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I think that my intro, connecting it back to Simpsons, Allie and I, we got to do the LA Podcast Festival a couple years ago. And on our panel, we had Matt Selman and a bunch of other people. But then I, I feel like that same weekend, you did a Doughboys Live with Selman, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. So that was the first time. And, and it was Kismet from there. Yes, yes that was, um, I think he just like, I remember, yeah, he was the guest or he was like a last minute guest for them or something because I was doing, yeah, yeah, I remember, I remember that. We're all in the same podcast neighborhood, knocking (laughs) on each other's doors, leaving treats. (laughs) I don't know where I'm going with this analogy. (laughs) But yeah, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for uh, being on and taking the time to talk with us. My pleasure. Yeah. So as uh, we've mentioned to you previously, and, and our listeners know this, so this is our Simpsons Adjacent podcast. This is all about you. So oh you can take this time to talk about whatever the hell you want, but we just want to get to know you and um, your background and all the you know amazing projects that you've worked on. Usually we like to start where you came from and sort of what those early inklings were to you knowing that you wanted to be a comedy writer um yeah anywhere that you want to start with talking about what that looked like for you sure I've been writing professionally for about uh 10 years or so um my like official start was like kind of a uh, upright citizens brigade world but um to answer your question so I I grew up in Philadelphia a family of four kids two parents and um went to catholic school very catholic upbringing all girls Catholic high school, all that stuff. And I think that like my family, my, especially my extended family, the, my dad's Irish side um, was just so dry and funny. <laughs> and they would say like the funniest thing you've ever heard in your life without even registering on their face. <laughs> they said something funny and like just, just making fun of each other and just kind of a very dry humor. And I always just, that that was so like to, if you could do that if you could just that was just a skill I always wanted to have the people who were saying the funniest things were my two aunts my dad's two older sisters <laughs> and just like completely under the radar just like just zinging their brothers in like the best <laughs> way and so 
at home, I was like, you know, you know, it's like a big family. There's a lot going on. And so I was funny, but not in like a, let me put on a wig and, and do a funny dance type funny that I remember. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I just remember like recognizing that and saying a few things that people laughed at. But I remember, and I feel like I told this story years ago on a different podcast, but um and like, I don't want to hear it. Oh, good. Because I don't. It's traumatic. We'll just edit in that clip. <laughs> Actually, I really hope. It was like it was like when people all started first getting their, their a podcast, like, and everyone had one. And God, I regret doing it. Anyway, um, and I, I might not have even told the story, but it was like I was in like fifth or sixth grade and we had to write sentences you know, when you're like learning vocabulary mm-hmm. words and it's like use it in a sentence and for whatever reason I was feeling like goofy that day and I was goofy at home in a way that I wasn't at school because I was such like a good student and a good girl I was just super obedient like my overriding thing was obedience in terms of not wanting to cause a stir and not wanting to get in trouble and all that and I like I don't know I was feeling funny and I wrote like funny sentences um, with the words, I'm sure they were all totally perfectly grammatically correct and <laughs> words were used accurately, but they were just a little bit, um, weird. And I remember like thinking they were funny and the teacher, and I was like the best student. I got hundreds on everything. I was everybody, like I was such a teacher's pet, but the teacher called me out into the hallway and accused me of like having someone else write the sentences for me. Oh, wow. Uh, because they compliment. were so, like, not me. She did definitely not mean it as a compliment. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I know, I know. Yeah, but, but it was I'm like, curious if you felt that way in that moment of, like, no, actually. I only felt shame and embarrassment. Oh, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> Just because well, a teacher was, yeah. like, a teacher pulled me into the hallway. Like, that was already, like, she could have said, like, go shave your head, and I would have done it because I was so, like, oh, God, right. what did I do? I rocked the boat, I rocked the boat. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, I mean, Allie and I are both Lisas. <laughs> so yeah, you're you're in good company when it comes to that. You know, it's like rules and order and getting an A and all that yeah. stuff. I feel like we both ascribe to at a young age. You know, I've heard lots of theories about why that is. I actually was when I was working a couple years ago on the President Show. The Peter Gross is the guy that plays um, Mike Pence on the show, and so he and I were showrunners by the end of the show, and. Um, I remember he said something to me once about like Lisa Simpson and how so many of the women that he's worked with professionally as uh, so many of the comedy writers have been like Lisa Simpsons (laughs) and he's like the men kind of like float by, but the women have had like to work like three times as hard and be like organized and do our work and all that stuff that it's just been like an interesting observation. And and I was looking back and I was like, that's totally Mm -hmm. right. Like you can't afford to, to not do that kind of thing but I've definitely been slipping and like I'm so homer it's disgusting <laughs> um, I think you burned it though <laughs> I hope so I do think that's a really great point in that you know a lot of the uh women writers and women comedians that you come across um are going to be exceptional because they really had to be in order to get 
that position. And we of course see that to be especially true when it's non-white people. And like, you know, there's just so few spots uh, unless you really make your way up to the top. And I really love um, my friend Marquita Robinson has in her Twitter bio that she's aspiring to be the first mediocre black writer, which I think (laughs) is so funny. And yeah, so it's, but it is still very nice when you get to come across people that are kind of cut from the same cloth. And it seems like there's a lot of shared DNA in in a lot of my favorite uh, fellow writers. Yeah, that's, it's so true. You know, going back to the story I was telling, like, that was such a, a like, get back in line moment for me, Ugh. where I was just like, right, whoops, what was I thinking? <laughs> oh, and, gosh. you know, put that away for a while. Oh. Um, it was definitely like, I think, growing up Catholic, for whatever reason, maybe because I was the third of four kids, and so there was a little bit more room for me to question things, I for whatever reason, like totally bought into the Catholic stuff or, or I should say like the, the religion stuff. Like I believed all of it, but it was more like, I believed like, Oh yeah, you should be good to each other. Jesus was a revolutionary and um, you know, golden rule and all that stuff. So, but I recognized like, wait a minute, then why is the church do all this shitty stuff? Right. Yeah. Um, or why is um, you know, I've been saying this a lot lately because I realized it. It's just like Claire Huxtable had such a huge impact on me as a person um, that like, because my family wasn't political, like wasn't like conservative or liberal, just was just like urban Catholics, uh, which is its own weird thing where it's like, you're a Democrat, but you're also like anti-abortion, whatever that Mm -hmm. means. Yeah. And um, I had, I, from a very young age, had all these like, feminist leanings or just I mean just like wait why should I why do I have to change my name why do I have like these things that were not coming from my home and I was like wondering about that a lot lately and I realized it's like totally came from like Claire Huxtable and Maggie Seaver and like just TV that I was watching Mm -hmm. um so I guess I'm grateful for Bill Cosby for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing we'll all uh, know. Totally. Like, I just the year of our like, Lord, 2020. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Elvin. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so there was just like this, I was thinking about this recently where like I had um, this deep sense of like seeing hypocrisy of being like, wait, but you're saying this about God and Jesus and religion and other people, but you're doing this and like women can't do this. And women couldn't be like altar servers when I was in school that started like the minute I left. But I, like, I remember like bringing it up to teachers or bringing it up to my parents and just not getting it because, you know, every, everything's like, well, you know, we had to take tests on, on Catholicism and like, what do the sacraments mean and all that stuff. And just meanwhile, like when I was a kid, I was like, this is not what Jesus thought. Jesus didn't, yeah. none of this is real, but I still like believed in the spirit of it and the, the service aspect of it. And so right, right. I enjoyed participating and I enjoyed like the activities that went along with it. But I always knew like that I didn't buy a lot of the other shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think that played into a lot to my interest in satire as I'm trying to trace that. And um, I have this story where this teacher, Miss Tracy, she got married and changed her name. I can't remember what her name is now, but um, when I, w- I wrote for the school newspaper and I had to like request 
So my high school is called Little Flower Catholic High School for Girls, which is insane. Yeah, that sounds like it's from a novel. It's it really, because St. Therese is a little flower of Jesus, and it's just all-girls school in, like, oh boy. the actual inner city. And um, I wrote for the school newspaper, and the guy who ran the paper would, like, assign editorials. So be like, hey, write about this. And the one that he assigned to me was, like, write about why gay marriage is wrong. And... I was like, okay. And I like remember like I went home and I was like, I don't agree with this. Yeah. You know, and this is like the late nineties or something. And I just was like, I, um, shit. And it was like, took everything I had and I didn't know any gay people that oh, I did, but I didn't know that I knew gay people. Right. It wasn't like a thing that was ever talked about in our house or anything like that. And it was Catholic church, but like, I just remember going and it was probably from like will and grace and things like that, where I just was like, eh. Who cares? Like, I just, who the fuck cares? Let the people right. get married. Who cares? And so I had to like talk to Mr. Ronzoni and it was like, took everything I had to be like, I don't agree with this. Uh, <laughs> and he was like, oh yeah, that's fine. You don't have to write it if you don't agree with it. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's, <laughs> I like was up all night last night worrying about this. Right. Oh. Um, but then I, I requested like, can I write an editorial about how I think women should be allowed to be priests? Like looking back is kind of like, it should have been women leave the Catholic church. Yeah. Um, but, um, but, you know, you, you looked around at the bed that you were in and you were like, let's gussy up this bedspread. I know. <laughs> like, what are the tools at my disposal? And so right. I wrote, um, and so that was a whole big thing. They had to like ask the administration if I could write it and blah, blah, blah. Wow. And, and then it became a thing where like, I was allowed to write it, but the priest at the school had to write a rebuttal. And my editorial was like a third of the page and his was like two thirds of the page. Oh my gosh. Um, and anyway, I wrote it. And the day that it came out, this teacher, Miss Tracy, I really, really respected a lot. She saw me in the class and like um, when we're doing change of class and she like grabbed me and she's like whispered to me and she's like really serious, stern person. And she said something about like, I, uh, I saw your editorial today. Um, I just read it. I was like, okay. She's like, I was going to write a letter to, you know, the letter to the editor or, or talk to him in person. But I don't know, since I'm seeing you, I'm just going to say to you. And I was like, okay, um, sure. And then she just like leaned over and whispered in my ear, you go girl. <laughs> and then like disappeared. <laughs> like I still can't even tell if this is like a true story. I know that it, I know that it happened, but I just remember like, if, if this was a TV show, like the camera would pan out. People would yeah. be like walking around the hallway and she's just not there anymore. Christine, that, that wasn't a teacher. That was the Holy Ghost. <laughs> we tracked it down. The you Holy... go, girl, cemented in such a specific time period. Too. I know. And said by this like stern white teacher with a wow. French braid. That's um, so funny. That's was, great. That kind of to me was just like this interesting portal into like starting. So then I went wow. to college um, and didn't do comedy in college. Always kind of wanted to like just didn't think that people like me did comedy also right. like I read some of the stuff that boys at my college were doing and it was bad um <laughs> but it's the uh, comedy stuff or they like, were whatever physically their satire whatever they oh, like gotcha. <laughs> but I really hated I hated college a lot but I did like uh, all sorts of activism when I was there and that was kind of mm -hmm. like my thing but I do remember that there was um oh my god so I went to UPenn which is in Philly and at a scholarship 
I always felt like I didn't belong there because it was like a weird cultural shock because it was an Ivy League school. But, and this is still true about UPenn, there is a sketch group that is all male and it builds itself as like the oldest all male sketch review. And hmm. it's 2020 and it still exists. And <laughs> I, and then there's like the all female sketch review and it's just so insane. And I thought it was insane. Like when I was there and then I went back to like do a talk and it's still like, I called them out. I just was like, guys, like <laughs> this is crazy. Like I tell people about it in the industry and they think I'm kidding. Like, yeah, yeah. And well, I guess of, they, yeah. Was okay. One okay. of the guys was like, we have to say it's the oldest all male because other schools um, integrated, integrated their sketch groups or sketch review. And I was like, do you know why? Because women weren't allowed to go to the school, and that's yeah. why there were, <laughs> that's why women weren't in it. That's why it's able to be this old is because when you started, women weren't allowed to go to the school. Oh my god! You know, it seems like they know that there's not a chance that they could be titled the funniest sketch group. <laughs> For sure. And, For and sure. any title is good in a storm, right? <laughs> you know, it's really <laughs> something to put on the flyers. Yeah, they like to say it, and. But I remember when I was in college, there was this, uh, that they were called Mask and Wig, and then the all-female group is called Bloomers, and there was this sense that Mask and Wig was really funny and Bloomers wasn't funny. Mm. And um guess I agreed with that, and I don't remember if it was because I saw things or whatever, or, or didn't see enough of it to see if that was true, like, broadly. But it was just kind of a contributing to that, like, women aren't funny. When women try to be funny, they just kind of look desperate or whatever and so for me like just kind of piled maybe hide the stuff that I wanted to do even deeper but I of course like really loved really loved whose line is it anyway I really love Mr. Show yeah um, and uh yeah so it wasn't until after college um I graduated and I moved to Pittsburgh and I was working at a nonprofit, and it was then that I was like you know what I always wanted to like try improv and I um, auditioned for a team, like didn't tell anyone I was going to do it and went and did it and got in. And then from there, just like completely took over my life and mm -hmm. just like complete, I fell in love with learning and like, it was all new and it was like um, just all the different, I mean, we were so bad and it was all short form, but then like I started to learn long form and I started to do sketch and all the people in the city the disparate groups that were doing it, the, like the people who were really passionate and um, about it and talented started to find each other. And like, I worked with this one group where we just all bought the same book. It's like sketch the comedy, the comedy toolbox or the comedy writers toolbox mm. or something. And we just did exercises together. It would Aww. like chapter one, like do this, make two lists, put them and we would just do them and then talk about them. So we just like taught ourselves some of that stuff. Um, I love it. It was fun. Yeah. I actually just found it. I'm, I'm curious. i curious to see if I have any of my old notes and stuff. But um, <laughs> yeah. And then from there, um, a couple years in to that, I quit my job, my day job, and I started waitressing. So I had more control over my schedule so I could like, perform at night and stuff. But <laughs> as a Lisa Simpson, I'm sure you all would, under would agree with this and understand like I thought, oh, I'll just be a waitress. It's a job I don't have to think about. It won't stress me out. 
but it totally did. It stressed yeah. me out so much. Oh I got God. so invested in doing a so good job. You have to be job. so good at it. Oh, yeah. I would like wake up. You want to get those tips? Totally. I wanted people to feel good. I wanted people mm-hmm. to have a good experience at Max and Irma's restaurant. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> and then, I bet like, they did. Thanks from to you. there, thanks to me, from there, then I started like <laughs> being the food delivery person and like the administrative assistant. So I would like do all the money stuff. And it was just like, there was, became a path for me to like go in, like a management direction. And I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I started, and I meant to like talk about this um, when um, UCB New York closed, which mm. is that um, I really loved long form improv we had been doing a short form show every week at this one place. And I started learning long form and there was a second city in Cleveland and I emailed them a couple times. And this was like 2005 or six. And I emailed them a couple times to just be like, Hey, I want to take class. Like, how do I do this? And no one ever got back to me. And then like, I want to say a month later, um, if I'm remembering that correctly, by the way, has this, I had hotmail since I was in college. <laughs> and then I switched to Gmail when I moved to New York in 2007 and completely neglected my Hotmail. And then they deleted all my Hotmails. Apparently this is a thing that has happened to a lot of people. They might've been sending warning emails or like oh if you God. didn't log in. So all of my emails from college to like 2007 are like just gone. Like oh no emails wow. from like dead people like emails like oh, all no. about my career like just gone and I didn't God. I didn't know that a that was millennial happening. horror story this, it, who among oh, us no. hasn't had that experience so um anyway I that someone eventually got back to me and was like hey the the theater doesn't exist anymore it just wasn't on the website they never were like we closed our Cleveland theater and mm-hmm. uh, he's like but I I don't know how this guy got my email but he was like a couple of us from the theater are still around Cleveland and we're going to start up at improv school if you're still interested. And so myself and two other guys drove to Cleveland once a week to take this class, which was like for where I was, it was like three, sometimes three and a half hours. Damn. And we're like then like two hours back, but it was like Wednesday nights and it was the most, I mean, driving there was so fun. The class was like, so, you know, you hear all these stories about people getting so obsessed with improv, but that totally right. happened to me. And then like two, two and a half hours back, um, one of the trips, I wrecked my car on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. And I still was oh, like, no. how do I, how do I back there next week? Like, I'm, I'm so all in. <laughs> how do I explain that improv <laughs> did this? <laughs> <laughs> it was really like, it was just, to me at the time, it didn't seem like a, this big undertaking because it was just exciting. And we would like meet at a hotel parking lot and then carpool there and, you know, I would do the lunch shift, waitress the lunch shift and whatever. And so at some point I was like, okay, I need to, I need to pursue this. I'm really giving you guys a long answer to this. Um, I love it though. That's the to, show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, at some point I was like, I really need to, um, you know, I love learning this stuff. And I absolutely can say it with honesty, I, I didn't, I didn't really even have a concept that there were people who wrote TV or. Wow. Like, yeah, I mean, I knew it, but like, definitely didn't think it was like for women in a way, and like, definitely like Tina Fey just existing was like, oh, women like it was a visible. Right. Obviously, there's all these comedy actresses, but just knowing that she was a writer was like strangely like novel to me, 
And especially because like in my upbringing, like nobody ever did anything out of the ordinary, especially women. Um, and, you know, ambition is a bad word. And, you know, even going to UPenn for me was like, sorry, everyone. Right, I, got, right. I got into Penn and, I, and they gave me a scholarship. I guess I have to do it. It doesn't mean I think I'm better than any of you, but I really think I should do I, it. I relate so hard of just, it's the good girl like mentality of like, just be a good girl and like do, you know, what you can. And I think especially when it comes to expressing yourself creatively, like I relate so hard to your story of your teacher thinking that you got help from outside. It's like, I feel those feelings when I get notes back from a pilot and it like, you know, indicates that maybe I was off course and I go, oh no, you're right. You're right. <laughs> like yes, it's, yes. it's crazy how, and I think it's, it's a very gendered imposter syndrome that happens when you go, oh, maybe, cause I, I know I'm supposed to be here, but there is this dimmer switch on low that goes, but maybe you're on borrowed time, Absolutely. which is bullshit. Yeah. yeah. It's so hard, but it's I'm so, so glad that you overcame all those moments. Oh yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> I still like, fear that like someone's gonna walk in here and be like whoops like <laughs> sorry which is weird because we're yeah. in the pandemic and I so know. they would be in your home yeah that's but I feel a that's or a partner is gonna do that to you and that's interesting <laughs> I always thought that would be a really fun prank for like a prank show would have people be like the imposter syndrome police so yes. like you just go into someone's office and be like there's been a terrible mistake uh <laughs> That would be Your resume. Um, we thought you were someone else. Yeah, and then it would be covered on This American Life as like the worst, <laughs> the worst improv <laughs> everywhere ever. I would totally be like, you're right. Okay, I'll, yeah. you want here? Keep my laptop. I don't. Yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it was definitely that. And like, so and I and I realized much later, like when I would watch TV shows, if I would see the credits, I would instinctively just like scan for a woman's name. And I didn't even understand what I was doing when I was like, I remember getting like the onion, our dump century, but like I'm getting those books. And one of the first things I did was like open up to the writers and like look for women. And it was not because I was like, had this conscious, like, can I do this? It was, it was just a thing that I did. And so my decision to move to New York was really hard. Uh, and just, just kind of like ripping the bandaid off. Cause I really had a lot of meaningful relationships in Pittsburgh. Um, but I, I knew that I was really happy when I was learning about it. And the way that I kind of justified it to my family and stuff was like, I just know I'm really happy learning about this. And I know I have a, a skill set. I know I'm good at a thing. I don't quite even understand what the thing is that I'm good at yet. But um, <laughs> I know it'll fit with a job. And yeah, I yeah. Truly, and I wasn't even trying to like, I was probably underplaying it for myself, like trying to not have expectations at all. Um, but I wasn't like, one day I'll write for TV. It's like so right. many people in the industry are like, well, my uncle did this job or whatever. And I just didn't have any of that. I just was like, what, what's an agent? I guess I kind of understand. And so I moved to New York and, you know, was temping and got like a day job as an assistant and was doing all that while taking classes at UCB at night as a writer and performer. And it was exciting and terrifying and was so broke, but and out to 4am all the time. Like, to me, that more that felt like that was my college. Like I was saying, I really didn't enjoy mostly college. There's a lot going on, but like to me, that was the thing where it's just like instant community. There were very few women, even fewer people of color, and so like when I think about like all the stuff I went through as a woman at the school, which 
is kind of bullshit. And like, it's so weird. I don't know if you guys have this where like, I think about uh, all the things that you've swept under the rug. And then just one day you're just like walking and you just remember something that someone said to you, like, Oh, that's every day in this freaking pandemic. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I have all the time in the world to reflect on something wrong. I said in eighth grade. (laughs) No, I mean like something that like, Somebody said Someone to me that said. I put up Oh, that's, yes. yeah, well, that's or just like, like a, a, situation. a Sunday special. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it just, they just pop up because it's just yeah. like, yeah, and then this this job, I did this job or whatever. And then like three months later, I'm like, oh God, I can't, right, right. This thing happened. And I just said, okay. <laughs> yeah. Because um, you think, you know, it's an occupational hazard and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I do think like when I was, when I was at UCB, it was the time where like there was maximum two, you know, I was on two different Harold teams and sketch teams and like there was maximum two female uh, performers on a Harold team out of eight and like maximum like two. Jesus. Two, yeah. or I, my team, I think I was the first sketch team I was on. I think I was the only woman writer and, you know, I took such, like, it was such a weird badge of honor Right. You're in the boys club. Because you're in the boys club. You're accepted by the boys, et cetera, et cetera. And then looking, you know, I hope more and more people have these kind of realizations where it's like, that's such bullshit. I was just like told to believe that, you know, there's only one slot for you and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, so but you wanted it so bad. I know? wanted it so bad. And it was just like, why to be accepted? I just wanted to do the thing I wanted to do. And you don't realize that you're also carrying so many extra things. And I think these days like there's less of this like women aren't funny stuff but it was kind of all in like the the big soup of that being a thing Mm -hmm, I was like every time I stepped on stage or like wrote something I was not only like trying to represent myself as someone funny I was like trying to prove prove that women are funny yeah and absolutely some some of the, the things that I've done over my performing career is just like maybe there was another woman or something that that the audience didn't respond to it in a certain way. So I feel like I was doing double duty or something. Right. Um, I just wanted to kind of add to what you were saying a little bit in terms of like, kind of feeling like you're having to perform as a representative of women. Mm -hmm. This is one of the reasons that I really try to have kind of an empathetic view towards the women who, you know, up until recently were, those I'm not like other girls Mm -hmm. girls because people are still blaming women for that but like the they're still just being a victim to the sexism and like misogyny that exists and like if someone yeah if someone thinks that if a woman thinks like you know I'm not like other girls or has that attitude in any way like yes that obviously is not ideal and we would love it if they could do the work themselves to recognize the patriarchy's effect on them but at the same time they're still going through it and I think most people have because society for so long has told us women aren't funny and women Mm -hmm. suck and the reality is still often the case that there are usually only one or two spots within a staff to be a woman writer and I, I think it's really great when people are super honest about like the the feelings that they've had that maybe they are a little embarrassed of but like I hope that we're not too hard on ourselves for ever feeling that way Mm -hmm. because it's a it's a product of what's going on totally that's so it's so well said Allie like 
it's definitely, you know, when, when, when you say, oh, I'm not like other girls and you're saying that to, to, to men. Well, I think, right, that, yeah. <laughs> I think that one, like everybody wants to be different and, and, and individualized yeah. or whatever. But when you're saying I'm not like other girls, what you're saying is I'm not like the per- your perception of girls. Right. And yeah. I'm, I'm going to assume. Majority, they're shitty. Yeah. You yeah. assume and you think, you think these certain things about girls, even if you don't, or like uh majority of media is saying these things about girls. So you're going to believe them, you know, whatever. So you're kind of, it's like a thing you're saying that you don't even actually mean because you don't know what exactly whose idea of other girls yeah. you're thinking about. And so um, that's, it's this weird thing to try to untangle. And I'm so lucky that I, have been able to in a way that I'm still struggling with, but I did this panel at Del Close Marathon a couple years ago with Natasha Rothwell, Lennon Parham, Jessica St. Clair, and Katie Dippold. And it was like women, women writing in TV or something like that, or professionally. And A, it was just like insane to just look back at like where I started at UCB and then all of a sudden be like on this yeah. panel. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But we really had an in-depth like discussion about that. And I mean, it was the middle of the day. It was really hot. People were probably asleep in the audience, but it was so important almost like I think for the women on the stage to have that conversation because I was really open about this. And, and so, so were they of just like you were taught, like there's only so many and your competition is only the other women. And, and Katie Dippold actually said this thing that like, I was so grateful in so many ways for her to say, but like, you know, she was saying that, you know, Katie was really high, highly regarded at UCB when um, kind of like, she was like, you know, the, this really big, you know, the best woman writer there and everything. I think she was already getting professional work. And then she said that when I started at UCB, she had like kept hearing my name and she was like, who is she? Like, I need to know who this girl is. <laughs> she was like, who the fuck is like honing into my territory kind right, of right, right. feeling. And I was like, I said in the moment, I, God, I'm so like to hear that you thought I was like some sort of threat is so such a compliment, but also like, yeah. God, isn't that so sick that like, that's how we like yes. have to feel. And so we just kind of like unpacked all this stuff. It was like super therapeutic for all of us to be like, that's you know, so we got these opportunities at UCB and what we kind of had through to go through to get them. And then of course, Natasha, who's a black woman was talking about her experience, which at UCB, like, I mean, God, there's just so much going on right now with that. And I mean, well, UCB New York is closed, but it was just, it was really healthy. And I hopefully helpful for the audience, people who are just starting out to see, because also one more thing I'll say before I know we have to take a break is like, when, you, you know, Amy Poehler isn't that involved anymore at UCB with, with like the organization, if, if at all, I don't really know, but they would do this press conference at the beginning of every marathon and then sometimes like her or Tina would be interviewed in the press about being a woman in comedy and there was they would give answers sometimes that were just like just be funny just be the just be funny that's all you need to do Mm. which a lot of us really felt like really erased like a lot of the other stuff that you had to go through and I totally understand why they're saying like why that, that was their answer but I just remember it being really confusing to those of us that were in like at the level that we were at you know we weren't working professionally but like I'm so grateful that even if it doesn't come from those two women uh that there that people have really dug into like talking about all the extra stuff 
um, that yeah. people who aren't white men have to deal with, you know, mm-hmm. and, I, and you mean like, so yeah. So when I think about like recommending UCB or recommending a comedy theater to people looking back, I'm like, Oh my God, like I recommended UCB to so many women or in like, or like, what was I sending them into? Or like, you know, some right. people of color, like what was their, you know, their experience was going to be so like different than mine. Um, yeah. And so I kind of regret, not regret, but just kind of, well, maybe right. do regret, like st- saying like, people were asking me like, how do you get in comedy? How do you do this? Blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, look, I don't know the path where like your uncle does this job. So he gets you a job as a PA. Like, I don't know that path at all. All I know was I found a community. I performed all the time. I wrote all the time. Um, I taught, I took classes and, you know, one thing led to another and I got tired of right, right. So yeah. do that. And then like, now I'm like, Oh God, like, what was I sending people into? <laughs> so, no, it's so yeah. totally not your fault. And like Ali said, it, it is the system. And yeah, I, I relate really hard. I did stand up for 10 years starting in college um, wow. and performed at UCB New York a couple of times. That was really fun. And I, I, but mainly did LA. And I remember like when I was first starting out getting intro to the stage by the MC um, as like, you know, the lovely Julia mm-hmm. Prescott. And at first thinking that that was such a compliment and then uh, like slowly starting to pick it apart and go like, it feels very gendered in a way. And, and sure, like maybe my presence hinges more lovely because I'm, you know, as Ali and I call each other, a posi and positive <laughs> person and, and whatever. But it, it to me made me feel like, you know, bringing feminism in a, in a realm that made me go, oh, am I funny for a woman or all those for things sure. that you've asked yourself to. Sure. It's, we're, it's, we're getting into the heavy stuff. Yeah, it's just, it's I love it. <laughs> All right, so let's take a quick break. And during our break, I want to make sure that everybody is following Christine. Um, although she told us off air that she has not been tweeting lately, which honestly is a very good uh, productivity hack. I honestly should be doing that myself. But be prepared when she does come back. Uh, Christine, what is your handle? It is at Nanglish, N-A-N-G-L-I-S-H. Beautiful. All right, we will see you guys after the break. Manners. Noun. Definition. Rules of etiquette designed not to judge others, but rather to guide ourselves through everyday social situations. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. Every week on Schmanners, we take a look at a topic that has to do with society or manners. We talk about the history of it. We take a look at how it applies to everyday life. And we take some of your questions. And sometimes we do a biography about a really cool person that had an impact on how we view etiquette. So join us every Friday and listen to Schmanners on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? And we're back. What a good break. (laughs) The best. (laughs) Only the best. (laughs) So, Christine, you've worked on a a lot of really awesome shows. I really, really love The Kroll Show so much. I love The Mix so so much. I love The President Show so much. I love The Break so much. You've worked on so many smart shows, and having talked to you just as long as I have, it it really makes sense that these are the types of shows that you really excel at um, and are drawn to. 
you know, I, I feel like a lot of writers don't get to be super picky about what it is that they work on, especially as they're starting out, but I'm, I'm really only seeing gold. <laughs> so you were the only one watching it. <laughs> That's how everybody feels though. In this streaming area, era, I mean, I feel like we're all like putting like TV episodes in a bottle and sending yeah, them so out. True. I mean, also what is a podcast? Not to disparage our <laughs> listeners, but like, what does it all mean? Yeah. <laughs> No, that's so kind of you to say. Thank you. I've just, I mean, honestly, I've just been so lucky and uh, been in the right place at the right time a lot. So, mm -hmm. and yeah, so uh, I'd love to talk about that a little bit because a lot of our listeners either know nothing about kind of this side of entertainment. You know, they are people who love TV, but they don't really uh, think too much about what goes into it. Or they're people who are aspiring writers who are also interested. And we already talked about how, you know, you know, your path, you know, uh, you know, it's going to be different for someone who doesn't have your exact background. But how, how much of it do you think is actually about right place right time for you specifically and uh, aside from taking UCB classes and, and different things throughout what are some other ways that you've advanced uh, your own talents and, and your career? I mean the advice that I always give people is just you know surround yourself with people who are doing the thing that you want to do yeah. and who are actually doing it not just um, making plans or getting angry that other people are doing it. <laughs> um, yes just like like-minded people that will lift you up. And, you know, when you're at a, at a place like UCB or whatever, like there's only so many slots for house teams, um, which are like teams that are approved by the house, chosen by the house. And then, so that can be frustrating for people if they're not getting chosen by the house for that kind of stuff. And, you know, the vice is always just like, make your own work. There are so many people that have done yeah. all the things that you're supposed to do in, in a theater or won awards for their screenwriting, whatever who still can't get their career started. And then there's people who like have funny tweets that get jobs, you know? So yes. it's, if you're waiting for a certain kind of validation and you're so hyper fixated on that validation and it doesn't come, you're missing all the stuff around you. Right. That's um, really good advice. And, and one thing that I, I've said is like, you know, when I was doing mod night at UCB, which is the live sketch night, there's something so bare bones and exciting and and risky and beautiful about it it's live audience and the stakes feel super high and they are for you in that moment and it's but it's like you know you have a ch three ch three chairs next to each other that are supposed to evoke an entire living room um <laughs> so it, it forces the audience to kind of come on board in a way that they don't really have to if if you have beautiful sets and it's like right. you know tv but you know i i like there's some specific sketches I remember being so nervous and then just seeing them hit really hard and the audience reacting and just that feeling like it's that can be I don't I don't know if I'm saying this right but like that can be just a, the same feeling that you get when it happens on a live tv show or like yeah. you know your sitcom or whatever if you're going to be, you know, the kind of, if your attitude about it is going to be like, this isn't good enough or not, not yet, uh, like I'm not successful yet or on some level, then you're not going to take it in when it happens at your dream job either. Yeah. So yeah. it's about, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's about like enjoying the process and like taking joy in remember in like the reason why you're doing it in the first place. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. Cause I've, I've worked with so many people who are just like, 
still not happy. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and I think for certain people that really like still motivates them and stuff. But um, (laughs) I was going to say that like, there is something that is for momentum about like, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. But like Michael I Jordan, think that, Michael <laughs> right. Jordan. Um, uh, can we go one podcast without you bringing Michael Jordan? Up? <laughs> but I, I, I think that there's like so much truth to savoring those moments, especially when you're just starting out and you're like post college and your twenties. Like you know, you get told time and time again that you're never going to have that experience again, but you really never have it and I I, you know look back on you know that kind of post-grad days for myself and starting doing stand-up and finding my people I think that there is you know a very popular uh opinion of just like we need to cater to the industry you know I came about doing comedy in LA I'm from LA and so the industry is right there but if you fixate so much on those gatekeepers and you fixate so much on those little you know buttons of like you've made it you've made it you've made it then you kind of miss why you're doing it in the first place and you're gonna burn out I think that's I mean I I'm saying from a privileged place of like things kind of worked out for me (laughs) Um, I've I've taught a lot of sketch and you know I've just kind of seen it and for me like I didn't you know start I didn't even like say out loud that I wanted to do this until until after college and Mm -hmm. so I didn't move to New York to even start this until I was 27 and so I felt so ancient. I thought everyone could tell. Like, right. There's so many kids like right out of college and they always wanted to do this. And like parents were paying for shit and like, mm-hmm. or maybe their parents weren't paying for shit, but I also just thought like they have so much more energy than me. But at the yeah. end of the day, it only really served me in that. Um, well, it held me back in some ways, but it served me in that. I think that I had felt like more urgency around the work and, I also had the experience of having like a regular life before being in this weird world where everyone acts like a crazy person. And like, so I had a sense of what professional was and like, well, that's valuable too in telling stories. Totally. Whenever I I, like interview people or or whatever for, for job or anything, it's just like the people who've also had other lives that aren't comedy are always, almost always just more interesting Um, and have more to say than people who, you know, obviously it's not a blanket role, but, but that's just my experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you feel, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. (laughs) I was going to jump into your IMDb and ask, do you feel like, um, you know, being on mod teams and doing UCB stuff, having that like arsenal of sketches and that being part of your package, do you think that that was, you know, really helpful in getting the job on Curl Show and getting your other writing jobs, just having a big stack of things that you've already tried? Totally. I mean, yeah, my yeah. first job was Saturday Night Live and for sure. And that was kind of the the reason behind mod teams too, was just to to give people stage time but to give writers an opportunity to build their packet and to put things on their feet and Mm -hmm. so when you know I got asked to submit for SNL I had these sketches that had been tested in front of audiences um I don't I I can't remember like whatever I can't remember it was like four or five sketches going back I can't remember honestly but um like half of them were probably put up on their feet already Mm -hmm. or like you know and I made an internet video that I included or whatever, an internet sketch. So that, and like kind of finding your voice, et cetera, et cetera, uh, super helpful, especially to get to getting that job. And, mm-hmm. um, 
And then from there, it's just like, you can include things that you worked on that are on the shows, but you can also just be like, look, if you want to like know what my deal is, like this sketch from UCB is like me in a nutshell or whatever. And I remember too, actually, I just had this thought the other day, like, and that was going back to what we were saying about like gender equity in the writer's room. Um, you know, I do like, they were, I was under no like false assumptions. Like I knew they were looking for a woman. No one said that to me explicitly, but there was like a million little cues and things that were said that shouldn't have been said. But like, I do remember at the theater, like there were definitely people who were more experienced than me who were more quote unquote ready than I was, um, male and female. And, you know, but it, I'm the one that got it. And part of my like drive has been to like prove that I deserved that yeah. job. Not necessarily even about the, the specific place it was, just that it was like a professional job and joining the union and getting an agent. I remember a friend of mine, somebody said to him, like one of his students, that I got the job because I knew Abby Elliott, which is true, but only because I had taken a UCB class with her. That's how yeah. that's the extent of how much I knew her. And she remembered my work and recommended me among other people she had recommended. So somebody said to him like, oh, well, she just isn't, she just got the job because she knows her uh, and they and they were looking for a woman or something and my friend was like she also had like the best packet you you'll ever read like she was ready oh, um, yeah that, and, yeah thank god they said that yeah god damn it. it's it's really it was really me like and it's true like and that was one of the, the amazing things about being at a, a theater where you're putting sketches on their feet all the time is that you are as ready as you're gonna be and now I understand, like, you're never ready. You're never going to be ready. You're always waiting for permission. Just, like, fucking do it. Right, um, right. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, to answer your question, like, absolutely. Like, having work. So, when someone says, do you have something? And you can be like, yep, right here. Um, mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's totally invaluable. It's the only way to do yeah. it. Yeah. And also, like, the quantity of stuff. You know, I, I feel like uh, I always say this about writing pilots and specs and things like that. Pilots a little bit more that, you know, it's almost as if your creativity is an iceberg and like at the top is like the most wretched, terrible things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they're always going to be wretched, terrible things at the top. And you just need to like break them off and get to like what the meat of it is, which is, you know, putting less pressure on yourself that this is your first pilot or this is your first sketch packet. And just like having that muscle memory built into your fingers of, okay, I'm, able to actually breathe and be myself on these pages versus the constant question of, am I doing it right? And I I need you to like me and I need you to hire me. But it's like, when you just have that quantity and that practice, whether you're doing it UCB, I guess you can't anymore in New York, but um, you know, there are so many other means of forming writers groups online or, you know, doing things in your own kind of way, just to dust the cobwebs off and get to, you know, what's going to be great about your work. It's, I don't know. I feel like that's the writing advice that I can see applied in not only sketch, but pilot, but, you know, stand up, but all of it. Totally. And, and working with other people is so much a part of any writing job. Yeah. Um, Well, for TV and stuff like, and so when I teach sketch or whatever, when I'm giving advice, it's just always like, you know, being in a writer's room is a skill as well. And like learning how oh, to yeah. take notes, learning how to give notes. Um, you, you can be like the best writer in the world, but if you're not fun to work with, yeah, uh, no, thank you. So that's, you know, 
just being somebody that other, you know, cause I mean, up to an SNL included and every job I've had after that has always been someone being like, Hey, you want to come with me? Or like, Hey, yeah. <laughs> um, and get in my car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm you. always getting taken to jobs in vans. So I just I'm always, you know, be someone, somebody said, I think it was Neil Casey. He's this really funny guy that I've worked with a bunch said, uh, we were, t- we were together on Inside Amy Schumer. We were together on Kroll's show and we were together on the president's show. And he's like an old UCB friend who used to be my teacher. But we were talking about jobs and he said like, you know, you can either be like, you, you need to be really good. You need to be good to work with. And you need to be on time. If you pick two, you'll work forever. Pick two of those things. <laughs> That's, That's great. And that was even before I was a boss. And like now, now having it had been, you know, in leadership roles a couple of times. Like that is absolutely so true. Like pick two (laughs) of those things and and you can work for me any day. Um, Yeah, yeah. Because it's like a family, you know? And so, yeah, we've all heard the statistics of, I guess, pre-pandemic, we were spending more time with our workplace peers than we are with our own blood relatives. And so you just need to be able to hang. That was the first, like, uh, bit of advice I got from my very first writing job the story editor turned to me and said like half of this is hanging out can you hang out (laughs) and I was like I think I can (laughs) (laughs) you never know who you'll run into in Fairhaven the city under the bubble Allison Becker, Eliza Skinner, Keith Powell, mucus-drenched imp monsters, Rob Corddry, Christelle Alonzo, Judy Greer, grotesquely possessive carnivorous plants, Justin McElroy, Travis McElroy, Griffin McElroy, terrifying malevolent sentient beards, John Hodgman, Paul F. Tompkins, Lisa Loeb, Bubble, the sci-fi comedy from MaximumFun.org. Just open your podcast app and search for Bubble. Talking about Kroll Show, 2013 to 2015, baby. Oh, you're, <laughs> you looking guys, my, you're looking at my IMDb right now. We, ma- we made notes. <laughs> it's in a separate doc. We're professional women. Um, okay. And I see that the, was it the next thing that you worked on, the MTV Movie Awards? I can't remember. The IMDb is such a weird thing. because I know. Out of order. And there's like like little things I consulted on that I don't even remember. Right. That get, and it actually, I don't, there's something on there called milf solicitors and I'm like milf number four or something and it's just like a sketch that I was in back in the day right I didn't even know what it was and it was like a parody of a porn thing so anyway on my end db is like milf it's, number four it's it was, wild I I think I also saw that like doughboys is credited as a tv show on is that right it. yeah I, I haven't I don't know who did that. in ages because right. I just I'm scared but um <laughs> yeah it was a weird kind of like strange uh back and forth so it was yeah I worked I worked at Saturday Night Live for three seasons and then I went to Kroll Show season two and then and and things you know when you're working on them it's different than when they get shot which is different when they come out so like things mm-hmm. are kind of out of order but it was then I did Kroll Show wrote on Kroll Show season two um, and that was before Kroll Show season one even came out and then went and that was in LA. I went, so I went from New York to LA for several months. And then I got the Amy Schumer job. 
And I went to Amy Schumer season two um, and did that and then came back to LA for a curl show season three. And then went back to New York for Amy Schumer season three. Damn. And then came, did this like weird Muppet job in between. And then. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> what was, wait, what was the Muppet job? <laughs> it, was, it wasn't the, it was at the, it was produced by the Muppets people and was like at the Muppets lot, the Henson lot. And it was yeah. like, there was like a new channel called Fusion or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that oh, sounds yeah. familiar. Yeah, and it was just this like one of the shows, and it was like live or not live, but it was virtual puppetry, and it was about the news, and it was just really weird and experimental. Um, definitely didn't belong on that channel. I don't know what belonged on that channel, <laughs> but I did it because it was really short, and I wanted to, you know, it's only like a couple months, two months or three months, and I wanted to work on the Henson lot and. It was interesting and challenging and weird. Um, then I worked on Playing House season two, which is a fun show with Lennon and Jessica um, that was on uh, USA. And then went back for Amy Schumer season five, five, four, five. I don't, whatever we were, four. Then I was like, I can't keep moving. And I told my agent, like, I need to stay in one place for a calendar year. And yeah. that's when I worked on The Mick, which is a Fox show for season and I was in New York or I was in LA for like legitimately like a calendar almost like to the day a calendar year because that's when I feel like I'm forgetting something but um Adam Pally kept contacting me Adam Pally's actor producer writer the guy who right, was yeah. one of the EPs of the president show and he was like contacting me about and I was like I don't know what this is and then I kind of realized it was something about Anthony Antaminick's uh, Trump impression. Mm-hmm. And that was like two th- early 2017, like everybody was still super traumatized. And I was like, you know, I don't, um, I don't want to normalize Trump. I feel like other shows that have Trump impersonators are failing at yeah. satire. And um, I just didn't want to contribute to that. You know, not only failing the satire, but I think I, dare say making things worse anyway we'll <laughs> talk about that um and then I saw Anthony's um Trump he he did it at the Writers Guild Awards that year so like a couple weeks later or whatever from when I Pally was trying to get in touch with me and these are guys I knew from UCB and um back in the day and I saw his Trump and like the speech that he gave and I was immediately like wow this there's something so different and smart about this and the satire is like pointed in the right direction right yeah. um and I was like, all right, I'll take a meeting. And then like after the meeting, I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to move back to New York for this job. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and so I went back and like totally not thinking that the show, I didn't think the show was going to make it to air because it was so bizarre and weird. <laughs> and, um, you know, a few weeks in, they make me the head writer. And I'm just like, okay. Um, <laughs> it was definitely one of those things where like we were talking about earlier where they want to make me the head writer. And I was like, nah, I don't think I'm. I don't think so. I don't think I should. Is it so much more responsibility? More responsibility. I didn't feel ready. I, you know, and also just was like scared and then finally got talked into it and did it. And then like months later, uh, one of the EPs was leaving because he was, he lives out here with us in LA and with his family, but he was out there temporarily and then he had to come back. And so they wanted to make me show a co-showrunner, executive producer. And I was like, no, I don't want to do it. No, like, like, thank you, but, you know, I'm sure there's someone else you can find. And around that time, my agent called me, and she's like, wait, 
did, did you get offered an executive producer job and say no? I was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I just don't think I'm ready. And she's like, you've got, you've got to stop doing that. <laughs> she's like, this is what happened with the head writer job. And you said yes. And it went great. I was like, yeah, I know, but I'm probably not ready for this. And then oh. I, don't know. I ended up saying yes. And it was so right. hard, but so rewarding. That's great though. That's weird. That's probably one of my favorite jobs I've had is um, that show because we just put a lot of work and love into it. And we're really like really serious about the satire that we wanted to do and really thoughtful. And I don't think at the expense of laughs, I think it, it a lot of stuff really works. And Anthony is at the center of all that and then got canceled. And, <laughs> um, and then I went and then, Oh, then uh, Michelle Wolf. I, I worked yeah. at the Wolf show. And that was really cool because I got to be, you know, at the, that legendary white house correspondence dinner and be right. with all that. And then we did our ne- the Netflix show for ten episodes, and that was wild, wild, crazy ride. And um, Netflix sucked ass at every opportunity, <laughs> um, but it was really fun. Like I learned a lot there yeah. too. So then I was like, I'm not working for months. Like I was so traumatized by like the past two years. I just was mm. like, I'm not. Just I need a break, and so I kind of wasn't working for a while, and then. Um, started to dip my toe back into things. And that's when Matt Selman got in touch with me um, about The Simpsons. And it was, I knew Matt because right around like 2014 or 15, whenever I switched over to UTA, they started sending me out to these table read punch-ups for movies. And it was, it was definitely like another example of like, I got an email about one and, you know, to like, some comedy people, they're just like super normal. Like, oh yeah, I'll just go do this punch up. I'd never done it. Did not know what it was. Only ever worked on sketches. And um, I remember like calling that agent, just what is this? What do I need to do? And then she's like, it's no big deal. Just, you know, you can read whatever they gave you and then just show up. It's just like on a Saturday at a hotel. It's like yeah. eight hours. And I, you know, read whatever they gave me. I came prepared with like pitches and all that stuff. And then I got to the room and realized like almost nobody had done any of the homework. Oh no. Yeah, <laughs> I've definitely been there. <laughs> and it just, it, but it was like people I recognize names and faces and, you know, maybe there was like 12 people in the room or something. And it was definitely like, you know, Amy Schumer was like such a hot commodity. So like I was, they were using that as like a way to promote right. them, right? Even though me and Amy are really different. And that's when I met Matt Selman. He was one of the people... Uh, who was also doing the punch-up and I like that's when I realized like I was like really good at these table punch-ups like yeah. fun. <laughs> hell like, yeah like good at riffing and all that stuff and so from that one I just started getting invited to all these other that's ones and people that were like at one would be like hey will you come to this other one that's um, and so that was a really cool way to just work on a project that I had no investment in whatsoever and I could be like do this or don't don't care give me money bye <laughs> But then, you know, a couple kept running into Matt Selman at these things. And then he brought me into a couple of his other things that he's works on, not the Simpsons at all. So I had submitted packets of jokes to him for punching things up. So he knew my work in that, in that regard. And um, he just like, this right after we all fired our agents because of, of a mm. skilled action, he just like emailed me and was like, hey, let's talk. And I really was just like, this is not real. Like, come on. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I bet, man. Oh my gosh. Um, and it was, it was, um, one of my big things was like, I don't have like an encyclopedic knowledge of every episode of the, of the show. So like, 
I don't know if I'm going to be pitching things that have already been done or like, right. You know, I'm obviously a big fan, but uh, it's not like, I don't know how, what level you want. And he was like, great. I love it. I love that you're not like, <laughs> yeah, you got to balance it out, it. you know? Yeah. yeah. I was like, I haven't, I don't watch, I haven't seen like a whole lot of recent episodes. He's like, great. Good. Love it. And I was like, okay. Like, how many other things can I throw at him? Right, um, right. All <laughs> so the technically it, wrong things are perfect. Who, yeah. I mean, it was, and it, did, it, it definitely came at a time in my career where I did feel like I kind of was at a scary but, in, but cool crossroads where I could decide what projects I wanted to do. And also like, you know, know that I'm getting jobs because I'm fucking good, not necessarily just because I'm a woman and they're looking for, yeah. for a certain role. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, can help you get a job, but can also help you get fired from a job. It can also yep. <laughs> contribute to a lot of really bad things that have happened and haven't happened to me. So, mm-hmm. um, and that was just like a temporary thing. It was just like, just come on board for a couple months. Like, we'll see. And, uh, and then I was like, hey, yeah, let me stick around. That's so great. That's yeah. so cool. Your career and your attitude and just you are very inspiring and just it's so great to talk to you. And this has been such a delight. So thank you so much for coming on our show. That's so nice. Thank you very much. I hope it wasn't too much of a serious. No. I don't know. No, this is this. the show. I loved it. This <laughs> is the show. Yeah. I felt like, you know, you were saying earlier about giving the long answer. We love the long answer. And I feel like you know, this whole podcast episode was a very comprehensive, you know, way of telling your story, but also like it, you know, felt very good for people that are aspiring comedy improvisers, stand-ups, writers in what have, like there's so many things that, you know, they could pull from for inspiration that I could pull from for inspiration. I, I hope so. I, it's, oh my gosh, right yes. before this, I had my like Zoom therapy session. Oh, really? I've been doing those, <laughs> and they're so nice. <laughs> and so it's just like, okay, and then I, like, went and got a co- coffee, like, went and made coffee, and then came back and, like, tried to set the mic, and I, so I think this is, like, an extension <laughs> of this, like, therapy. Oh, show. my God. I, you, I mean, you pre-partied. I, I want, <laughs> I'm going to recommend all our podcast guests to have therapy right before I, I we doing, talk. <laughs> I was doing vulnerability shots out in the parking lot. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Just staring <laughs> a Brene Brown novel oh, in the face. Oh, oh, yes. my God. oh, who doesn't? I mean, her, her teachings now. on vulnerability are... She's... Yeah, she, oh, my God. She saved me so many times. She has a podcast now. Oh, oh I didn't yeah. know that. That's good to know. Yeah. She has a um, conversation with Glennon Doyle that is really amazing. Mm, oh, that's awesome. I bet. Ooh. Her book <laughs> is in my queue. I can't wait to read it. She rules. Uh, well, thank you so much again. Um, we already told people, uh, how to follow you on Twitter, but is there anything else that you would like to plug anything upcoming or just where to watch the president show or any of your past work that you love? Um, I mean, no, I mean, one one thing (laughs) that I I would highly recommend is a show I, I, with some friends of mine, I had a little bit to do with, but, uh, it's called astronomy club on Netflix cool yeah um, sketch show and it's just so silly and weird and unfortunately it only had one season but i think it's i think it's really good and i think it deserves more more eyeballs on it awesome Um, yeah i love it yeah yeah awesome well thanks so much again and julia where can people find you Ah, thanks so much for asking i'm actually impressed on all the things ali where can people find you 
Thank you so much for asking. You could find me at Allie Gertz on all the things, and you could find us at Simpsons Pod. Round Springfield is a production of Maximum Fun. We are a member-supported show, so go to MaximumFun.org slash join to contribute. Our booking manager is Hastu Tembrosio, and our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Swish. Smell you later. Smell you later. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.